For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome. Uh, my name is Ethan, one of the pastors here. So glad you're tuning in. I'd love the chance to get to hear from you. And so uh, my email is etaylor at graceohio.org. Love to hear from you how you're doing. Love to hear uh, maybe kind of what stood out today in the message or, or just what's going on in life. Love to hear from you or any way I can be helpful uh, in that way. We, we are going to jump into a text uh, together in just a minute here. But before we jump in, you got to think back to last week. And if you didn't watch it, I'd go back and watch it because Pastor Dan led us through a conversation last week on Ephesians 4 all the way up to Ephesians 5. And it was we talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new self and putting off and recognizing and repenting of some things as Jesus enters into the wardrobe of our hearts, right? So what I'd love for us to do is just kind of build off that. But before we do, let's just pray, take a few minutes to pause. And so, Spirit, we just ask this. Would you come to the forefront of our attention? Reveal in us the darkness and our need for you. Jesus, remind us of your grace and your goodness. Encourage us even in the heaviness of what we're about to talk about. And Father, would you speak to us because we want to listen. Amen. When I was a kid, uh, my brother and I, we had bunk beds together and we shared the same room. And so uh, it was a regular occurrence in our house that my mom would get us in bed. My dad would get us in bed. We'd, we'd be ready to go, tucked under the covers, getting ready for sleep. And they would walk out the room They say, I love you, turn off the lights and then walk out the room, and we'd hear them walk down the steps. And as we hear them walk down the steps, uh, we got to a point where we could track kind of where they were at on the steps, and like, boom, they hit the last step, and we knew. They're gone. They're out of sight. We are scotch-free. Like, we are in the clear right now. And so it would not be very long until my brother and I would kind of uh, I, I'd start kicking. I was on the bottom bunk, so I'd start kicking my feet up against the top bunk, and and my brother would kind of peer over the bunk and kind of hang over the bunk and go, "What do you want?" I'm like, "Do you want to do something? Like, let's let's do something, right? It's night, it's dark. Let, let's go play in our room, or like 
Let's do something. And so what we would typically do is we'd get all the toys out and start playing in our room or we'd get our Game Boys and start playing Crash Bandicoot on the Game Boy or whatever it was. We kind of just would play in our room at night and it wouldn't be long as we're kind of sprawled out in the middle of the darkness of our room. It wouldn't be long that we'd be just playing with some toys that we'd hear footsteps coming back up the steps, right? And we'd hear them and we'd get nervous and usually I'd hear them first and I'd, I'd... strategically pick the bottom bunk because I could just slide right back into bed. And eventually we'd hear the door crack open, the lights turn on, I'm in bed, my brother's halfway up the ladder and my mom or dad would go, hey, what's going on in here? Right? And usually I pull over the covers and go, I was trying to sleep, but my brother wanted to play. Like he was out playing in the middle of the bedroom, but I would never do something like that. Right? And so I would uh, always blame my brother about what was happening. I remember even in the mornings before school, we'd get ready. And, and if I overslept uh, in the morning, usually my mom or one of my siblings would turn on the light and go, hey, it's time to get up. It's time for school. And I'd be like, no, just five more minutes. My eyes would kind of hurt from the light turning on because I was so used to sleeping in the dark and my eyes, I'd just rub my eyes and kind of pull the covers back over my head and just try and fall back asleep, pretend like I didn't hear them or something. And then uh, one of my siblings typically would come in with a spray bottle and just start squirting me with water to wake me up, to get me out of bed. When, when the lights go on, sometimes we panic. Sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes it hurts our eyes. And what Paul wants to do uh, today is he wants to flip the lights on and it might cause you for a second to feel uncomfortable, panic. It might even hurt at first. It might make you want to pull the covers back over your head because we like the dark, right? We like the dark sometimes, especially when we're asleep. And Halloween's coming, right? And we're talking about darkness. We're going to talk about Batman, Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings. But Ephesians starts and it says this, For you were once in darkness. You and I were once in darkness. If we are out of Christ, we are in darkness. And darkness is not just around us. We can look around our world and we see dark things in our world. You look at the news and you see war, death, hurt, corruption, evil. And it's not very hard to describe the evil and the darkness in our world. But you and I can even get friendly with the darkness. We can get friendly with it. We can make jokes about the darkness. We can get interested in, it, in, in evil things and begin to explore them and get curious and fascinated by the darkness. But not just can we get friendly with it, not just is it around us, but the darkness is literally in us. That darkness, and we have these desires and attitudes and mindsets and actions and passions that are seem to be animated and channeled by evil. It's like... When you say something and you're like, where did that come from? When you do something, you're like, where did that come from? It felt like it was animated by evil. What it is, is it's the darkness within us that's called sin. And the Dark Knight Rises, right? Bane has this moment where he's beating up on Batman and he's getting ready to just take him down. And he's like, you think darkness is your ally? I was merely, you merely adopted the dark. I was born into it, molded by it. The dark is this dangerous, destructive, and deadly thing that you and I were born into and molded by. The darkness has infiltrated and isolated us. And a lot of us, we live ignorant to that, or we continue to indulge in it. 
But Ephesians 5 says you were in that, but now, but now you are in the light of the Lord. You are the light of the Lord that at the cross, Jesus entered the darkness and died in the dark, was buried for three days in the dark. And the gospel story is this, that Jesus busted into the dark to bust us out of the dark and bust the darkness out of us. That Jesus invites us to come into the light of his grace and love. That Colossians says it this way, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. When I say yes to Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord, when I'm in Christ, I begin, my eyes get open to the light of this cosmic story that's going on around me, that I start to realize light and darkness, good, evil, right and wrong, God and rebellion. And what do I do with that? Like when I start to see this cosmic narrative that's playing out in front of me in our time and world, What do I do with that? Well, Paul says, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes visible light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Master Yoda said in Return of the Jedi, he said, once you start down the dark path forever, it will dominate your destiny. Do not, under, do not underestimate the power of the emperor or you, Luke Skywalker, will suffer your father's fate. You will, right? He's talking, and I think what he's, Yoda's getting at and what Paul's getting at is we can't underestimate the power of the darkness. Don't underestimate the power of the darkness, the power of the devil where he rules and reigns because uh, we, we should not be curious about the dark. We should not seek out the dark. We should not associate with it, play around with it because the darkness, the devil reigns and he will rule you, uh, he will drag you down into deeper and deeper darkness where secret and shame are the core values of it, making you feel hopeless and alone without hope and helpless. Paul's like, don't engage with the darkness. You need to expose the darkness. The devil is defanged as soon as the lights go on. As soon as it's not dark anymore, his power is in the dark. That's why Ephesians goes on to say this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful how you live. The question maybe we need to ask is, am I living careful or am I living careless? Am I living careful or am I living carefree. What does careful living look like? Jesus invites us into it. He invites us to live with honest exposure in the light and not hidden engagement in the dark. Careful living is not sneaking around in the dark hoping nobody sees me, nobody finds out, nobody knows what's going on, but careful living literally looks at each step that I take and goes, man, is this in the light or am I moving in the dark? And what Paul wants to do is invite the gospel lights, the gospel lantern, so to speak, and look at each area 
of our life. Look at our workplace, our marriage, our family, our sexuality, our relationships, our sports team. And does the gospel light make sense there, right? And he doesn't stop there. First Corinthians, he says this, uh, Paul, who also wrote it, he says, he, the Lord, will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. That we just don't take the gospel lantern or the gospel light to our areas of life, but we take the gospel light to the depths of me, of my attitudes, my motives, my desires, my thoughts, my insecurities, my false identities. And what we do with that gospel lantern, what we do with that gospel light, is it's almost like we invite Jesus to go, hey, hey, what's going on here? What's going on in here? What's happening? And what Paul wants to do is he wants to take that gospel light, that gospel lantern, and go, hey, what's going on here when it comes to your agenda, when it comes to your authority structures, and when it comes to your attitude and your actions? He wants to take that gospel light around. He says it this way in Ephesians 5. He goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Living in the light makes the most of each moment in an age that is aimless, in an age that is wasted, in an age that is futile. We don't just have bad days. You and I don't just have bad days. We can actually live bad days. We live in an age that is aimless. It looks to waste its days, and it wastes its days on different things. We have evil short days. Our days are very short. And if we live in wrong ways, we're stuck then with bad days. That's what Paul is trying to say. How do we live bad? How do we live aimless? How do we live wasted days? I think there's three ways to waste your days, and you can live bored. What we would call uh, relaxing, right? We look at our world, and maybe you feel this, is, is you can spend your days being bored binge-watching, YouTube exploring, doom-scrolling, video game playing, whatever it is, you can live your days bored. And those are evil days. The average American, not just with young people, but average American in 2023 spends seven hours and four minutes a day on screens. It's almost a full-time job. We live our days so bored. We can live our days busy, and busyness becomes this badge of status that we have in in our lives. We get busy with work. We get busy with sporting events. We get busy. It's fall, and there's so many fall events that I want to go to. There's church programs that I can be a part of this thing and that thing and this thing and these different things. And I have nonstop travel plans, and I have chores and errands and things to do, and then the uh, tone of our age is this FOMO, the fear of missing out, and the fear of missing out is beginning to stress us all out, right? That we live in a bored age, but we could live in a busy age, and those are wasted, those are aimless days, but there's one more way that Paul would say in Romans, and he would say we live in bliss days that are selfish, that are focused on ourselves. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a deprived mind, a darkened heart, a darkened life, so that they could do what ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, and deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. That you and I can live bad days in bad ways just by having bliss as our goal. More is the aim, and sin becomes a game to us. What's Paul's solution to that? He says, live in the light. Live in the light. Living in the light is Ephesians 5. He says, make the most of every opportunity. That making the most of every opportunity, that making the most is literally where we get the word redeemed. It's like buy back. That's the Greek word for buy back these wasted days. Living in the light buys back the days. It makes them good, right, and true. Mark Batterson says it this way, that focus on inputs rather than outcomes. If yesterday is history and tomorrow is mystery, win the day. When you win today, tomorrow takes care of itself. I think you might be right. And as children of light, as, ch- as God's children, to live in the light means that we live in understanding of eternity. Right? We live in understanding of eternity. Titus says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Christians, as children of light as God's being in Christ, you and I begin to live with a holy hustle that we have one eye on eternity and the other eye on opportunity. That's what Paul is trying to get at, that we make the most of these days. He, he says the Greek word there is keros. When he uses that word opportunity, he uses it for time. And he could have used Tons of different words for time. One that says day or hour, chronological events taken after a place or kind of an age or an era. He could have used any of those words, but he uses the word keros here. In the Greek word keros, is it's like a season that we make significant. A season that we make significant. And the way that you make a season significant is you have one eye on eternity and the other on opportunity eternity looking down the line going it's not always going to be this way but i'm going to make the most in this if you're in middle school or high school kind of going through school man i know school sometimes feels like an eternity but you have such an opportunity to reach your school to be a picture of jesus in the darkness of your school in this moment right if you're a young adult or you're single or dating or college I know sometimes feeling single or being single or in college, it feels like it's going to last forever. It feels like it's never going to end. And I'm telling you, it's shorter than you think. It's shorter than you think. You have an opportunity. God wants to form you and grow you as a young adult right now more than you've ever known. And probably more in ways and unique in ways now than you'll ever have. 
by the way, if you're a single young adult or a single person, really, if you have one eye on eternity and the other on opportunity, you'll realize this, that eternity says this, that there is marriage in heaven and marriage does matter, but there's only one marriage in heaven. It's between Jesus and his bride. That's it. So the, the marriages that we make such a big deal about sometimes here, they matter, but in heaven and eternity, we're gonna be Jesus and his bride, the church. You have one eye on eternity, one on opportunity. If you're engaged, you get a chance to, in this moment to show your trusted and faithfulness to your spouse, to, to, to show that I'm going to stay faithful to Jesus even when it's hard. Newly married, you get to show your, your a reflection, a picture of Jesus to your spouse more than anybody else. If you've got young babies or your baby is a senior in high school and they're getting ready to move out or whatever the case, you have months you have opportunity here to show the heart of Jesus, to be the primary leader and discipler of your family, to show them what it means to live and love and follow Jesus. If you're an empty nester or maybe a widow or an older folk, and you have an opportunity to be a vision of faith for the next generation, a vision of faith. Our world screams out different visions for young people, right? a vision for finances or a vision for fame. And we need, we need, the church needs pictures, visions of faith, people who have been devoted to Jesus. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, I know I, the season I'm in is not the season I want to be in, right? Like I wish I was at the next stage or I wish I was in this, this part of my life or I wish I got to enjoy that thing. And there's seasons that often we don't want to be in. And there's an epic scene in the in Lord of the Rings where they're in the dark mines of Moria and, and Frodo has lost perspective and he's carrying the ring with him. And he talks to Gandalf and he says, Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf said this, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. God has given us this time. Don't waste the season. Even if it's not a season you would necessarily want or desire or you wish you could change, don't waste the opportunity. Have an eye on eternity. Make the most of it. Don't live bored, blissful, or busy. Trust that Jesus is using this season to shape you and teach you to trust him more and more or to not trust him more. Like this right now in this season, if I can trust him here, it means I'm going to be able to trust him there. But if I can't trust him here, why do I think I could trust him there? Right? Jesus is trying to train us to look for opportunity, to think outside ourselves, to love others. What's going on in your agenda? How's that looking? What's your days look like? Paul wants to take the gospel lantern again, and he wants to shine it and go, what's going on in here when it comes to your authority structures? In Ephesians, he continues, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We'll say it this way, living in the light seeks to know God in an era of ego. 
Romans 1, which we read a little bit earlier, they, in the, earlier in the passage, it says this, that they refused to recognize God and they claimed to be wise, but they were actually fools. Proverbs says it this way, that whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool and doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. How would you define fool? I think a fool is this. It's someone who lives as if he's God and life's a game. A fool is somebody who lives as if he's God and life's a game. Uh, I heard somebody say ego. Do you know ego is an acronym? It stands for edging God out. Edging God out. That's what ego is. And our world screams, it's all about you. And there's enough shiny and distracting gadgets and gizmos to say this world can be your kind of personal kingdom. You can make a kingdom in this world and you can be the king or queen of this world. And you can design and customize so many different things. You can customize and design your house, your phone, whatever technology we have to make it kind of living as a king easier. <clears throat> And you and I live in the secular age, which has literally been designed to keep edging God out and out farther and farther, pushing him into the margins at best or completely out of our life at worst. And we have edged God out so far. And I wonder this, that if some of us, we have edged God out and we, we sit and we go, God, what's your will? What's your will for my life? Where are you at, God? I don't hear you, God. Where are you? And, and we, we have a crisis of faith because, not because God's not there, but because we've edged him out so far. What if, what if God is still speaking, but we're not listening? Because I think maybe God might just speak the loudest when you and I are the quietest. And our world has violently distracted us to a point where we cannot hear the voice of God. So maybe understanding the Lord's will is not so much asking God, who am I going to marry? Are they going to have dark hair? Are they going to be kind of muscular or fit? Or who am I going to marry, right? Maybe it's not asking so much, uh, I've always dreamed of being an architect. I think I'm going to do that, but... God, maybe I should be a marine biologist. I don't know where to go, God. Lord, what's your will? Should I buy the Toyota Corolla or the Honda Accord? God, what's your will? When we ask questions like that, I think it focuses more on, I want a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Accord. God, I need to know your will in this thing, or I need to know your will in this thing, or I need to know your will in that thing, because I need to know your will. And God's will all of a sudden becomes not God's will, but my will. That I get to focus on my will, and I want God to somehow work my will into existence. And what Scripture would say, what Paul is saying, is you're living foolish. And you wouldn't call yourself a fool. I wouldn't call myself a fool. But when I live with ego, I'm the fool. <laughs> Jonathan... Haidt writes this, one of the greatest truths in psychology is that the mind is divided into parts that sometimes conflict. To be human is to feel pulled in different directions and to marvel, sometimes in horror, at your own inability 
to control your own actions. Can, can we be honest? Sometimes you and I, we're foolish. Sometimes I give in to the darkness. Why in the world would I trust myself? I, I caused myself more trouble than anybody else has. I've caused myself so much trouble that you and I, it's like what Paul's saying is we need to fire the fool and hire somebody who loved us, who died for us, and we need to take our cues and listen to him. He has a line earlier in Ephesians in verse in chapter 5. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. Just a short little verse. Find out what pleases the Lord. I, I wonder if the Lord's will is just, if we want to know the Lord's will, it's going, God, how, how can I please you today? Like, how can I today in the season that I'm in, even though maybe it's not a season I want, like, Lord, how can I please you today? Or Lord, what, what can I do to make you smile? Not in a, like God's mad at me and I need to make him smile, like no. But I, I think of my wife and I, like I know my wife loves me, but I still wanna make her smile. I still wanna please her. I still wanna find ways throughout my day to like shoot her a text or write a note or what, whatever it is, serve her. And I wonder if looking at the Lord's will is going, Lord, how in the world can I understand where you're at and what, what can I do to like join into what you're doing? Maybe the Lord's will is firing the fool and, and just looking at simple ways to please him, to make him smile, to, to go, God, where are you moving? Because I want to move. I'm in. God, what are you doing? Because I'm going to join. God, who are you loving? Because I want to love them too. God, what are you thinking? Because I want to agree and be with you. Lord, where are you leading? Because I am listening. Our world is desperate to hear, to have people who hear the voice of God. Our world is desperate for people who regularly hear the voice of God on a daily basis. Is my ego, am I letting an era of ego rule my life? Because, man, I need to fire the fool and trust God. The last area, Paul wants to kind of come in and go, hey, what's going on in here? The, the gospel lantern is our attitudes and our actions. He says in Ephesians, he goes, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Living in the light is submitting to the Spirit in a domain that's drunk on darkness. Our world loves the darkness. We love it. We enjoy the darkness. We love it. We crave it. We want it. We're infatuated by it. And the darkness, quite honestly, has devastated our world. Look, look just do a quick internet search and you'll find you'll find study statistics about anxiety and depression on the rise like crazy overdoses that have happened human trafficking that's going on suicide rates and you wonder what's going on in our world war death like what's going on how did we get here right i think the way we get there is we play with the darkness, we engage the darkness, 
And when we engage the darkness, it all of a sudden engulfs us. That you and I, we flirt with that. Paul's like, well, you f you're flirting with darkness. It's like a, 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 a drink you, that you take a sip of. You take a sip of the dark, and then you keep drinking it, and then all of a sudden you're living a blackout. You're gone. You're wasted. And you go stumbling around hurting people and hurting yourself, and you slur lines between what good is and what evil is, and you're desensitized to God and others, and you become obsessed with drinking more and more of that thing in the dark, and the first drink that seems so exhilarating, so exciting, even fun, all of a sudden has become the thing that has darkened your heart, your soul, and your life, and your eyes are sunken in, and you've left, you're left bitter, alone, and imprisoned to the darkness that you love and hate at the same time you're drunk, is what Paul says. What's God's heart to people who are drunk and in darkness like that? I think it's this. It's Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Psalm 7, 107 says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffer in chains because they rebelled against God and His commands and despise the plan of the Most High. When we trust the fool, when we trust the fool, you and I get dark in the drunk, and we start to love the thing, and that thing all of a sudden becomes the thing that imprisons us. It leaves us alone, and it leaves us in the dark, and Jesus is not frustrated. He's not mad at you. He's searching for you. Would you come step in to the light because Jesus saved you out of that? Don't go back to it. And sobriety starts and it continues by honestly admitting that we're powerless over the darkness and we're in need of a Savior. We did a series in the spring on the Spirit and we said this, that you don't need more of the Spirit, but the Spirit needs more of you. That living drunk in the dark is consistently grieving the spirit in my life. It's like I go throughout my life and there's certain areas where I just kind of put the spirit on the top shelf and like, nope, I don't want to think about you right now. That's what it's doing. So the spirit, he's like, no, I want to be involved in everything. I want to be with you. I want to be guiding you through it all in all areas of your life and your work and your family and your friendships and your conflict and your church and your sin and your body and your food and your time and your abilities, your desires, your insecurities. I want to be with you in it all, guiding you through it all. And the signs that you've been filled by the spirit, that the spirit has more of you, the way that fleshes out, how do you know? How do you know you've been filled? How do you know the Spirit has more of your life? He says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for 
Christ. To be full of the Spirit is not to speak in tongues necessarily or have be able to do crazy miracles or to walk uh, and have a crazy kind of spiritual talk. It's not any of that. That's not what Paul says. It's not what Paul says. What he says is it's Jesus above all, thankful through all, and submissive to all. That all of a sudden... To be full of the Spirit is to have Jesus above all else in my life. That he, my words start to sound like His and my personal, I have this depth and joy of just being with Jesus. That, that I don't become cynical at life. I'm, I'm very thankful like Jesus has done so much. He's done everything for me. And so I, I'm thankful through everything to the simple glass of orange juice in the morning, to, to how God has saved me from my sin. Like, I'm thankful for everything. And not only that, but I become submissive to all, which is what we're going to look at in the following weeks. That I, like Jesus, Jesus, God in the flesh, stooped down and chose to lower himself for you and for me. And I, when I'm filled with the Spirit, I choose to lower myself with my spouse, when it comes to my kids, when it comes to my parents, when it comes to my boss, when it comes to my coworkers, my employees. Right? This means that if, if I'm filled with the Spirit, the opposite, what does being drunk look like? Well, it looks like this, that the Spirit filled... Jesus above all, thankful through it all, submissive to all. But if I'm drunk, it's me above all else. I'm the most important person. I'm cynical through everything. I'm never thankful. And I'm domineering and controlling in my relationships to all other people. That the opposite is true. The Spirit wants to fill our lives. And in filling our lives, each part of our life, he begins to form us into more and more of Jesus, into more and more of a picture of Jesus. First John says this, this is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The invitation is this. To walk in honest exposure. To come into the light. To come into the light before God. To come into the light before others. Would you come into the light wherever you're at? Maybe you're living bored, busy, or just quite honestly bad days. Maybe you're trusting, you've been edging God out and you have been trusting yourself. Maybe for you, you're, you're drunk on the darkness. You love it. You've been loving it. You've been engaging in the darkness maybe it's an obvious thing maybe you've kind of covered it all up by religion or rules or kind of the, the general goodness of your life or how good you could be maybe you've been hiding in the dark 
and the dark has just been burying secrets and shame, and those have begun to rule your life. And the thing that you fell in love with at first in the dark, you've begun to hate it at the same time, and guilt is piling up, and secrets have made you sick, and you are quite honestly scared, but you wouldn't admit it to anybody. You're scared because you feel alone and helpless in a deep pit of darkness and you don't know how to get out. You need to know this, that no matter the darkness you're in, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus, the light of the world, died for your darkness and your sin. Jesus, he is so tender towards us. His grace is ready. His forgiveness is available. And his mercy will meet you. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't keep hiding in the dark. Because there's nothing that's hidden in the dark that couldn't be exposed about me or exposed about you that hasn't been covered by the blood of Jesus. Praise God. And the church, the church has the becomes the safest and most honest community on the planet. We have the potential to be the safest and most honest community because of the grace of Jesus, where we can be intentionally intrusive into each other's lives and forgive us when we're not. Forgive us when we when we're not very honest, when we're not a safe place, and God help us because of Jesus' grace towards us, we should be as gracious towards each other. And we take the gospel light around the closet of our life and the shadows of our heart over and over and over again and again until the Spirit forms and fills every part of my heart and life into the image of Jesus. It's more of him, less of me. And then all of a sudden, my life begins to shine bright. Our lives as a church begin to shine bright in a world that is dark because the light of the world, the light of the world is burning within us. And all of a sudden, what Jesus said to his disciples, he says this, he says, you then are the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The darker that our world gets, the more potential the church has to shine all the brighter. The church should be a beacon for hope, a lighthouse for help, and we can invite others into the honest and safest community of grace on the planet. And as we invite others, we can invite them to know each other, to watch out for each other, to love and forgive and be reminded of the truth that Jesus has defeated the darkness and we can live in freedom in the light. Would you come into the light? Would you come into the light? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm, I'm sitting in darkness. Come into the light. Come into the light of God. He loves you. He's for you. He wants to help you. Come into the light of the church. Maybe there's people, you, you, First John says, if we confess our sin to one another, you know what? God's faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us. 
So Lord, I ask this, would you help us to relax in your presence because of your grace? But God, make us uncomfortable in our darkness because you are the light. God, form us into people of light who live in honest exposure, who don't engage in the dark. And God, would you form us as a church to be a beacon of hope that, that offers people who are lost in the darkness a place to come and experience the grace of Jesus in the community of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.